Ukulele Tales with John Atkins. Hello, it's me, the ukulele teacher, a.k.a. John Atkins, of course. Well, it's great to be back here on the podcast, and I'm so, so grateful to all of you for checking out that Cynthia Lynn episode last time. I've had some really great and lovely feedback about the show. And don't forget, there's an extra 25 minutes of conversation up right now on my Patreon page, patreon.com slash uketeacher, between me and Cynthia, if you want to get a bit more of an insight into Cynthia's creative thought process. It's really interesting stuff. And as I think I said last time, you do get a bit more of a look at the real Cynthia Lynn. So it's well worth a listen if you enjoyed that episode. This week, though, is something very different. And for me and Percy, at least, something very exciting too. Now, if anyone is living in the UK and has a kid under the age of, let's say, five, you will definitely have heard of Nick Cope. With an ear for a catchy melody and a family-friendly lyric, Nick came to prominence during the 2020 lockdown with his CBB show, Nick Cope's Popcast, shown throughout the UK on the BBC. Now, if you've ever had to sit through kids' TV with young children, you'll know that it's not always a fun time. But Nick Cope, a real-life musician, dad and granddad, has got you covered, making his show every bit as enjoyable and accessible for grown-ups as it is for the target audience of youngsters. Accompanied by his faithful whippet Norman, Nick's show is filled to the brim with catchy songs like Ralph the Rusty Robot, the baby's done a poo and uh, Barbara had a brother that are both fun to sing along to, yet somehow also pack a genuine emotional punch. Believe me, as someone who's had to sit through hundreds of hours of the likes of Blippi and Cocomelon, the Nick Coke podcast was a very refreshing change and something that both Percy and I were very happy to watch again and again. There's even an episode about helping out at the local charity shop, which, if you follow me on Instagram, is something that you'll know that I also love to do. Anyway, I was really excited to get the chance to chat with Nick recently, as not only is he now a famous BBC granddad, perhaps the only one in fact, but back when I was at uni, he was also a famous indie rock star in his band The Candy Skins. A big thank you to Carla Music for sponsoring the show. Don't forget you can get 10% off any Carla ukulele or guitar or anything on the website by visiting my special link, carlabrand.com slash uteacher. But now, here's part one of my chat with Nick Cope. And now you're in the middle of a big tour at the moment. How's it going? Well, um, the way we do it, because people say, oh, good luck with the tour. But, I mean, we just pick, pick gigs when we can, really, because obviously... Um, playing for families, we have to, we can only play at weekends or half right. terms and holidays. So we have to sort of do. I mean, even if you did every weekend, that's only sort of like fifty-two dates. But sometimes we do two shows in a day, so you know we can we can get get around a little bit. But I mean, that's the idea is just to get as many gigs as we can and keep keep you know sort of entertaining people over the weekends and the holidays. Really amazing. I mean, you've got gigs lined up until sort of september next year or something so you must be doing something right yeah well they seem to be coming in now i mean yeah it's, it's really helped having the, the the tv show i mean because i used to play festivals and play concerts up and down the country but you know you'd and you'd sort of get in touch with them 
uh, say, could we come and play at your theatre? And then they just wouldn't return your call. So it's, it was, um, this is, it seems to be, a, there's a lot of power in the BBC. It seems like yeah. it, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, in fact, some of, yeah, some of the listeners might not know, but this is by no means your first time on tour. Um, you were in a band in the 1990s called yeah. The Candy Skins. That's correct, yes. So what's it like touring again now as a solo act instead of part of a band? Um, it's... Sometimes, well, I mean, when we, we went up to, to Scotland at the beginning of the year and doing it, sort of doing lots of travelling and going back to back, you know, sort of doing gigs back to back, staying in sort of sort of um, B&Bs or whatnot, and then getting to the gig in the morning and then it felt, oh, I remember this. It's, and it felt really fun. You know, I mean, yeah, not that it isn't yeah. fun anyway, but that sort of that sort of element to it of sort of um, a lot of travelling and you know, because usually we do like one-offs or whatever we might do a Saturday and Sunday together but we because it was over a half term we'd done a lot of travelling it was it was quite reminiscent of those days but it's um it's just me and my other half Amanda we 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 just travel around doing it it's it's just really really good fun I mean um I spend a lot of my time in the dressing room on my own pondering before we go on do you <laughs> there's yeah, no one, yeah there's no one to have a sort of any yeah. any banter with but it's it's been um it's really good fun. It's yeah, really, it's really enjoyable. Yeah, the the candy skins I think are a little bit overlooked, maybe. But I was a fan after seeing you guys on what was it? I think TFI Friday back in the yeah, day. Yeah, that that was our big week week of um, exposure. That was right. We had that. <laughs> well, yeah. We, yeah. Well, basically, we would we'd um, we, we had a I think we had a ten year career where we started off. Um, in America, so we got American record deal. Yeah, you had a couple of top twenties in the US, didn't you, at the beginning? Did, in, in, in college radio, yeah. Okay. That, so that yeah. that was amazing. That was just such a laugh. That was really really good. But um, but in doing that, we had sort of neglected getting a fan base back in our in our home country. So when we got back and things went a little bit pear shaped, we um we didn't really have an audience. So we had to sort of um, start up again in our hometown of Oxford by building up a fan base and then putting out more records and whatever. And so that, and that sort of, um, it all sort of uh, came together for that one week. I remember we right. did um, some radio shows in London and we'd, we'd put lots of, um, lots of singles out on that. What's this? A fourth album. I can't remember to be honest with you. And we had the tier five Friday, which came up as well, but we never quite made it onto top of the pops, which is oh, a shame. Yeah. We never quite yeah. got there, but we had a top 30 hit. It's top top thirty, I think it was top thirty, with that song Monday morning. Yes, that's yeah. Cool. So, what led to you making the change from sort of, I guess, indie rock stardom to songs for kids and families? Yeah, well, it, it, I mean, it didn't happen very quickly. It, it took a bit of time because um, the bands um, we sort of split the band up, and uh, we weren't really doing anything for a while, and, and I'd sort of exhausted myself basically creatively. Yeah, you know, I knew there would be a great gaping hole missing. I mean, there was in sort of like from writing songs and performing and stuff like that. But because when you've sort of done it for so long and tried so hard and not quite got there, you can't just keep picking yourself up and, and, and going for it. So um had a bit of time off, really, uh, without knowing what to do, but knowing that I wanted to do something creative. And uh, Amanda, my other half, um, she started up a Montessori childminding business, childcare business from the house. And so she was doing that. We were looking after people's children, and I um, registered as well, so I could we could work together. And it was a very successful business. And I, at the same time, I was doing sort of odd, you know catering jobs and stuff like that just to pay pay the bills. And yeah, whatnot. yeah. And in 
sort of looking after the children uh, while our other two were at school because uh, we had two small children we got three children our oldest was obviously looking after herself but our other two they were sort of quite young they were going off to primary school so it was, it was quite chaotic but the younger children we were looking after in our charge I would entertain them after lunch by getting my guitar out and just sort of making up silly little songs and one of the children was the daughter of the people that ran the Oxford Montessori schools and a place came up for a music teacher oh. to sort of sort of do sort of music lessons with the with the nursery and the and the, the early early years classes. And they said, Nick, would you like to do that? Because they knew that I was in a band and all sorts of stuff. And I said, Oh, do you know what? I'll give it a go because I've been messing around at home, um, making up a few songs and stuff. And that was the moment I thought, Oh, this could get me back into making music and being creative and playing my guitar. And that was it. And that was over 10 years ago. And it just went from there. I started um, getting songs, writing songs, and then putting on shows at local community centres. And word got around, and I'd sell CDs, and I started doing theatres, and then it all, it's all gone from there, really. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. Cause, so I guess you were sort of treading the boards for quite a while with those kid songs until the TV show came along. Right? Yeah. So how yeah. long did it sort of take between... Um, I mean, how, how long did it take to get the TV show going then? Like 10 years or something? Right? Um, well, no, I mean, because that um, I was approached it was, it was over a period of time, sort of getting in contact with the, the various people that were involved in putting it all together. Because uh, there's a, a lovely guy called um, um, Glenn Hayward who um, got in touch with me because he was a fan of the Candy Skins because mm -hmm. he was at university in Oxford back in the day and he's been in bands and stuff and he runs um, a digital design studio, an animation studio in Bath. So he got in touch with me on um, uh, on Facebook because he'd seen the animations that I was doing when my son Bert, we were putting out animations for my kids' songs and he saw those. He said, oh, these are really great and I loved your band, used to come and see you and stuff like that. And he said, look, one day we'll try and get together. We'll try and work something out so we can um, like pitch a television show or some animations together and stuff because I really like what you're doing. So I thought, oh, that would be good. And then he invited me to see his studio. And I thought, oh, this is amazing. They're just doing all this amazing sort of animations and stuff. And I just thought this is a million miles away from what I'm doing to be sort of in, sort of in the company of these sort of animators and stuff. And then um, lo and behold, a year or so later, I think he got some free time. And he said, look, I've... I've got this idea of pitching it to um the terrific television who are an amazing children's tv production company and they pulled resources and we all got together the three of the three parties to discuss how we could sort of formulate a idea for a television program incorporating the songs and me and my dog norman yeah and um and my grandson remy at the time this is before alva our granddaughter came along and then they went off pitching it to the BBC. And then it, that goes through the sort of, it's like the um, like the World Cup, really. You get through to the next round. And then, right. You know, so yeah. you get through to the next round. And then it's you have to re-pitch and re-pitch. And then sort of like, they sort of say, oh, could you tweak this? Or is that something like that? And, you know, by the end of it, I thought, this is going really well. We're getting, you know, it was like almost to the penultimate one. And I thought, the thing that's going to let this down is because I'm just some old fella. <laughs> yeah. Playing, I don't really fit. The, the sort of the remit for um a CBeebies presenter I, you know I don't sort of I'm not sort of um you know I, I I'm I, it's just the way that I am I sort of, you can hear me talking now it's sort of a bit sort of droll and sort of downbeat and I thought well they're never going to go for that 
Um, but apparently they loved the fact that I was a granddad. And that was one of the selling points, um, as well as having a whippet called Norman. So mm-hmm. that, and then that was it. And then we, we got the commission. Luckily, we um, got the show out just in time for the first series, because that's when um, COVID hit. Yeah. And I was yeah. basically in the editing suite in Maidstone. You know, we just, you know, just doing the last few edits on the series. And people were actually sort of evacuating London, so to speak. They were telling everybody to go home, and we didn't even know if if the it would actually get online. The the, the actual program would be able to where the offices were were that would actually sort of put the show on the server yeah. to get onto the BBC. We really didn't even know if we could actually do that. So, wow. but luckily, we got under the wire, and it was out there, and and it was just by. A, just by pure chance and then we had a captive audience for those yeah those few months two years two years yeah of course it was two years yeah yeah yeah. Mm. i mean that's when we sort of got into it i think my son and i yeah um yeah we loved watching it together during lockdown and um i think one of the things we loved about it as well is how you like you just mentioned you're bringing in your other family members like your grandkids yeah um what made you want to get them involved uh i i think because I, I suppose it's all to do with like social media in a way. Because in the past, Remy, when he was little, he he would he, they would come to gigs, but they still come to the the shows. And he would bring us a little ukulele, and he'd sort of he'd dress up as because other children used to do this as well. It wasn't just Remy. Yeah, other children doing sort of like impressions of me. Uh-huh. But um, Remy would come up, and then we just thought, why don't we get him up on stage and see if he'd if he'd like to do that? And he, we couldn't get him off. And then he'd come up, and he'd have his little ukulele case that he'd bang his foot on, like I would like bang you do. my foot yeah. on. Like yeah, yeah. And then we thought, well, this is so lovely. People need to see this. So that we would just do some clips on YouTube and stuff to um, advertise certain gigs or just to share with our family. And um, obviously that was part of what I was doing. And the, the, that was one of the things that the BBC saw as a package for the commission. So this is how Nick interacts with children. We did a small film at a local primary school as well with me talking to the children, like I do in the sessions as well, yeah. to get so they could see how I interact with them. Um, yeah, it was just, it's also, I guess it was part of my um, CBB's presenter CV, I suppose, to see what I could, you know, this is this is how to present myself in the way that I work my music with children, I suppose. Yeah. Actually, thinking about it, in the third series, um, there's one or, one or maybe two or th- two episodes where you are in the same room as the kids. Because normally yes. it's, um, you know, sort of via the, the TV screen. Yeah. Was that because of COVID and stuff that you didn't do it in no, person? No, the Popcast Planners. Yeah. The Popcast yeah. Planners was a new concept for the third series. Um, I, th- I'm not sure. I think they, I think they wanted to sort of develop it a bit. Um, I think they said it would be nice for Nick to sort of move out of that world into another world if that was possible. And, um, we came up with that, that concept so I could actually talk to the children like, you know, and it's sort of going full circle. Cause that's how I, how I started doing working at schools and talking to children about the songs and stuff formulated in a way because we're making a television program we couldn't just sort of freeform sort of jazz numbers and stuff. yeah right so to, yeah so yeah, yeah so that, that was just a, an, an added sort of thing to sort of move the, the show on yeah um so talking of i guess uh well not being able to write uh freeform jazz numbers and stuff yeah i would love to know a bit about your songwriting process because I'm wondering sort of what's the difference between a, and I'm doing air quotes here, a kid's song yep. and a yep. proper song. Because your songs yep. seem to geniusly straddle both worlds. That's very kind of you to say so. But, I mean, that's I guess that's what I'm trying to do. I am thinking 
uh, about the grown-ups who are going to have to sit through these songs again and again and again. Yeah, because the children do like to put them on. So I I try and write the best possible song I possibly can. And I mean, the the luxury, I guess, from doing, I call it family music rather than children's music. Right. um, Writing family songs is you can dip into any genre. You can sort of not steal ideas because that's plagiarism and you Mm -hmm. end up in court, Mm -hmm. but you can use ideas and styles and stuff and you can jump from one to the other there's you don't necessarily have to keep to one sort of thing or another so that's that's quite a free way of writing but as i said when i sit down i'll get an idea and then okay so it's it's an idea about a vampire okay i'm gonna write this is gonna be like the best vampire song that these grown-ups have ever heard and i guess in that way it's going to be a good song about the subject matter is going to appeal to the children but it's going to be, hopefully, it's going to be well-constructed and the, the lyrics are going to be interesting enough and they're going to be clever enough for the parents to like it and they'll all sit down together and enjoy it. I guess that's what I try and do. I don't always get it right, but that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's my aim. No, I think so. I mean, I think an amazing example of this is Ralph the Rusty Robot, mm. which was like my son's favourite song of yours, until Stone on My Shoe, actually. Oh, uh, that was his favourite one. And then, um, yeah. but weirdly, I showed a few episodes to my mum and dad and my yeah. dad still loves Ralph the Rusty Ribbon and like sings it over the phone to me and stuff. So yeah. I don't oh, know why, lovely. but uh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we get lots of um, generations of families coming to the shows, grandparents and um, and with their grandchildren, and they're all singing along and they all love the show. I mean, that's I mean that's sort of in the way the the live performance is an extension of the songs in a way that it appeals to everybody because the way you know I'm, I'm there sort of entertaining you know all the different ages in the in the crowd so it's 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 quite um it's quite a uh it's it's quite hard work but it's it's yeah. it's, it's very rewarding because they you know like we, we we just did a couple of sold out shows in in london at the weekend and they they just they do really appreciate it you know the time and effort you put into to, to sort of entertaining the whole family and it's lovely to see that they all enjoy it together very much like you were saying you know sitting down with your son that's what they you know especially over lockdown it's become sort of part of their 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 their, their young lives which is yeah it has yeah yeah i know i can imagine what you're saying i mean i've played ukulele a few times at my son's nursery to sort of mm. 10 kids or 12 kids yeah. and it's like a blast but i saw you at bristol last year and there were sort of hundreds of little kids, and yeah. it seemed like a tough gig, like a really tough yeah. gig, you know. Was this at the Redgrave Theatre? Yeah, yeah. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that yeah. was a fun old show. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it is. You have to just keep going. I mean, it depends. It, there's a lot of factors. It's because we we have to. You know, we we're talking earlier on about um, going on tour and stuff. It's 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 we have to pick the right sort of venue. And the Redgrave Theatre is a lovely theatre. But um, it's it's a lot to do with acoustics and stuff because if you get a couple of um, children that are getting a little bit distracted and right. sort of crying and stuff, if it's not echoing around, because a room with really good acoustics is not probably the best thing because it echoes. Um, there's not too much room to run around and stuff, but we need some room to sort of to dance as well. And also they need to be able to see properly. So like a tiered theatre is really good. But um yeah, it can it can be. I mean, you know, and it's, it's down to the sound because it's just me and my guitar. So it's um, but we use animations and stuff to 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 to, to, to go along with the songs, and um, and everybody seems to enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. So talking of uh, dads, by the way, which we were a few seconds ago, um, your dad was a famous actor, right? Yeah. Um, Kenneth yes. Cope, 
And me and my dad used to love watching him in Randall and Hopkirk when I was a kid. And now me yeah. and my son love watching you together. I know. So, um, yeah, yeah. So what was it like sort of growing up with a famous dad? Um, I guess it's how you imagine. I mean, he was he was particularly famous in the sort of late 70s. Um, well, right, no, around sort of the late 60s, early 70s, around that time. He was in, you know, some of some of the biggest shows on, on television at the time, at the same time, strangely enough. Yeah. Oh, Coronation Street uh, as well, wasn't he? Uh, it was in yeah. Coronation Street. Yeah. And that was the week that was. That was oh, okay. um, the, the satirical um, yeah. live program was was on broadcast on Saturday nights on BBC. So it was on the biggest show on ITV and the biggest show on BBC. And then he went on to do Randall Hopkirk, lots of writing and um plays and stuff like that yes he's he's uh but yeah i mean it was it was i mean yeah we would go to things everyone would say so is that ken cope is that ken cope? you know and so you sort of get sort of yeah you sort of just go along with it i suppose yeah you don't really know any any differently Amazing. Such a great guy and a real pleasure to speak to Nick. Again, if you are a parent in the UK, you really need to check out Nick Cope's podcast on the BBC iPlayer. And if you're not, there's lots and lots of clips and songs available on YouTube. So have a look for it. And I really think you will enjoy them. I'll be back in a minute with more about Nick's musical side, including how he got started in music, whether or not he can actually read music, how he manages to write songs that appeal to audiences both young and old, and even... One neat trick for helping your ukulele to stay in tune while you're recording. But before we get to that, I mentioned that my son Percy really enjoys Nick Cope's podcast over the last few years before he started school. So I told him that I was interviewing Nick and asked what his favourite song was. And, uh, well... Hey Percy, do you still like Nick Cope? Yeah. Yeah, what's your favourite Nick Cope song? The Candy Skins. Wait, you like the Candy Skins? Yeah. What's your favourite Candy Skins song? Mrs. Hoover? Yeah. How does that one go? Hey, Mrs. Hoover. Wait, which do you like better, Nick Cope or Candy Skins? Candy Skins. Fair enough. And how old are you again? Five. Five, okay. Well, good choice. Anything you want me to ask Nick Cope? Um... Norman. Okay, I'll ask him. I'll ask him. Okay. But how? I'll phone him and ask him. Norman is um he's okay actually. He's he's a, he's quite an old dog. So he's he's been on many walks in his life and he's sort of taking it easy really. Yeah. Enjoying the, the sunshine when when it's sunny out there and um yeah, he's he's doing okay, thank you. So when did you start getting into music then? Um, I think it was, I mean, we were skateboarders, I think, and then we were into a bit of heavy metal because of that. But, you know, we loved music anyway, so it was always around the house. Um, but into playing it, I think it was, when, it was definitely when we got into punk music because then it, was, it seemed to be more accessible because mm. you could learn a few chords and then start writing songs, which is exactly what we did. And we so- started forming a band. Who, who's we you and friends well that you? was my it was me and the other nick who was um ended up in the candy skins as well we'd always been in the same band together so we were in the same punk band oh wow then, were you, were you yeah. were school friends or something or? yeah we were yeah. school together we lived in a small village just outside oxford called islip and john the drummer 
Yeah. Of the candy skins. He was there. Obviously, my brother was there because we were living. He was living in the same house, being my brother. Yeah. But he didn't join the band till a lot later on because he was a drummer. So he drummed in a different band. And then we got a different drummer. But John Halliday, who was the drummer in the candy skins, he lived in the village as well. So it's all straight. So all this, yeah, same people came from this tiny little village. Yeah, and then we all got together a little bit later on. Although me and Nick and Nick and I, we carried on writing and stuff and doing different bands and stuff. And then it, it sort of merged into the the Candy Skins a few years later. So, what was your first instrument? Was it the guitar? Or it was the guitar. Yeah. Yeah. Did you play yeah. any uh, like classical stuff at all? No, or, I've no. never. I've never had. I had just a few lessons from a, a, a lovely old lady in the in the village who taught yeah. me a C and a G7 I believe those okay <laughs> yeah I got yeah um but yeah everything else was just just battling away with bar chords to um be able to play oh, amazing so real like punk songs. yeah real punk yeah. spirit then yeah. yeah yeah I could never do solos I've never learned scales I can't read music at all I'm oh know, really so somebody plays the guitar every day I've just I, I think I've I've got one of those brains that's not particularly good at remembering things. I can't okay. remember my phone number or n- even notes on the guitar. Wow. If wow. I always yeah. get confused about where's yeah. a B and a C. I just can't, you know, if I had, I'd have to sit down and try and remember, it just hasn't sunk in. Yeah. So I, I, know, I know where the songs are. I know where to play my songs, but I wouldn't know. You know, I know open chords. Yeah. But once, yeah. I, trans- once I transpose them or on a ukulele, then okay. it gets really good. It gets very confusing. So I'll, I'll play the ukulele and I'll just, that's when I put the ukulele parts on the songs. I'll just play around. I don't know what key I'm in or anything. I'll no just play way. it. Oh, that works. Oh, that yeah. will work. And then I will, if it's a, oh, that's not the right note there. So then I'll, I will just work a little pattern out and, and put that on. So how does the ukulele come into your music then? Because you do use it in some of the, uh, the songs yeah. of the podcast. Yeah, I, it's, it's, it's there in most of the ones because um, all the songs I record at home, I record the singing and the vocals and my ukulele parts, and then it gets passed around, especially during lockdown because everyone was sort of recording remotely. I mean, the drums were done in Germany in a small village down the road as well. Um, and there's a small studio that we did like backing vocals and pianos and stuff. And um, and other other sort of people involved in it um, would use their own home studios and send stuff in. And we just um, it's a lovely guy called Roland Prythurch. He did um, he puts it all together, and mixes it and stuff. But um, my, the ukulele, it's always something to embellish it. When I I put my guitar down and the singing, I've got it as sort of in time and as in tune as I possibly can. Then I'll put some like rough ideas for other melodies or counter melodies that might be other instruments. But invariably I say, Oh, I just love that ukulele part. Then it has to stay being a ukulele part. Wow. I'm really, I'm really surprised by that, to be honest with you. Yeah. So do you, you don't use the ukulele um, to write then as a sort of compositional tool? Um, I have, I have done. Cause I've, if, if I, I mean, I don't sort of specifically think, okay, I'm going to write a song. On the ukulele, I'll play. I mean, I think it was the Toad song from the the third series. Mm. I had, I was just working on a little riff with a. It's just sort of like open picking and stuff with a A minor or something like that, and uh, it's a G minor seventh, major seventh, I think. And it, I liked the way it sounded. It was just easy to pick, and I thought, oh, that's a nice riff. And so then I transposed it onto the guitar, and then that became the riff for the Toad song. So I, I tend not to. Um, I think our songs in the past I have written. I think the Bear song was written on the ukulele because it, it features the ukulele at the beginning. 
Yeah. So oh. you used to use it for sort of inspiration and stuff. If right. I, I can't think of anything. I just if or if it's just like an idea, I will because I'll play something different on the ukulele than it would do obviously on the guitar, especially if it's picking because you're limited with the strings, especially with the high string. Yeah. I'm just really curious about the guitar that you use because I was sort of googling. Yeah. What guitar does Nick Cope play? Yeah. And nothing was coming up. And then I was like zooming into these pictures. Yeah. I was like, have you like sanded off the uh, the name or something? No, that's for the BBC. They they oh. you're not allowed to sort of put branding on, unfortunately. I thought it might be something like yeah. that. Okay. So again, yeah. off the record then. What, it's, what well, no, it's, no, it's no big deal what, okay. what it is. It's just it's just on on when it's on screen, they they can't sort of be having anything branded. It's like you wouldn't have a t shirt with a label or shoes right, okay. and stuff like that. Okay, yeah. It has to be yeah. so there has to be sort of independent. No, it's a, that's a Collings that I use on the um on the show, and that's what I use for most of my recording, which is sort of... Um, do you know Collins? I, I don't, uh, actually, but it sounds amazing, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's American. Um, it's a, quite a, a small um, guitar uh, makers mm. in um, Texas, I believe. They're, they're, yeah, they're, they're quite... They're very well respected, and, um, yeah, I was always looking out for one. I saw the second-hand one in a, in a local shop, strange enough. It needed a little bit of work on the, the fretboard and stuff. So it was a bit rattly, but it's um, but it's really good. But I've got another one which I use live now, which is a Santa Cruz, which is slightly smaller, but with a wider neck, so it's good for picking and stuff. Oh, cool! That's okay. good. Yeah, so yeah. That's, I use that as well. And what about the ukuleles that you use? Well, I've got I've got I've accumulated lots of different ones right from the very beginning, one, yeah. which I don't even think it's got a name on it, and that was my favourite one that I used to take to all the sessions. That was just like a little, um, a small little one, and then I've got a. Um, there's a guy that helps me with my guitars. I asked him to advise me on getting a decent one because I wanted one with a pickup in. So I got a Woodstock, with which is a concert ukulele, which is which is a good, which is a pretty good make. And the pickup in it is okay, but it doesn't sound great when you plug it in. Yeah, they they often don't. Always, I think yeah, yeah. Because I I saw um, Paul McCartney was playing his ukulele at Glastonbury last year was it last oh yeah year, yeah 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 and it sounded really good but it had it mic'd it was yeah it had a mic on it that was stuck to the thing which after which was let's try and do something like that because it's such a lovely sound but if you put it you know if you've got a sort of a, a, a pickup in it and it's going for a big pa it's just going to sound you know it loses all its charm for sure yeah yeah, yeah. and another one i got yeah. so i bought i mean i'm always sort of especially with recording trying to get things in tune and as you probably know that ukuleles are really hard to get precisely in tune, especially if you're recording them and playing notes and stuff, especially near the nut. So I um I got a different one which I've got it here and that's a, a Lanakai. Okay, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is which is a um a concert one as well, which has got a longer neck. Yeah. But I still I you know, I sort of got it um I got it on the internet and I spoke to them about it. I said, is it really good at staying in tune? I need something that's gonna stay in tune you know once you put your fingers down on it because i end up sort of tuning guitars and ukuleles to the note that i'm playing it on almost to get it in yeah. tune. it's, it's yeah. quite a chore but i i what i found is because the nuts are always because there's quite a distance between the nut and the fretboard especially on the first fret so i i if i'm playing it in normal tuning i will tune it down half a step and then put a capo on it because then that capo you've got less room for the string to go down does that make sense yeah i think so okay yeah so when you're yeah. playing your open you know when you like play a whatever you might play an f or something the the sort of the second string is going to go 
slightly sharp because you've got a pressing it down. Yeah, yeah. So it, you, you sort of you eradicate that to a certain degree. So that's a little tip okay. there. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. I'll, I'll give that You're a go, actually. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. Okay. Um, I think Lanakai was the first uke that I had. Yeah. Um, Lanakai concept. Annoyingly, I think I gave it away to somebody, which yeah, I sort of regret a nice now, one, actually. But, yeah. The Woodstock's a really nice one, actually. It yeah. sounds really good. I love how you can take some songs about like quite random and maybe even off-color topics like mm. babies doing poos yes. and make them like genuinely quite emotional. Um <laughs> like I've, I, I yeah there there's some very like sort of I don't know maybe I was just emotional being sort of a new dad and stuff yeah. but there's some very like poignant stuff in your music. I wonder how yeah. you kind of get away with that sometimes. I I think I've always trying to um I looking at some of your um, wonderful work on um on YouTube, and you're playing um, Yoshimi Battles the Robots by oh, yeah. Flaming yeah. Lips. Yeah. And it's that is what I'm trying to do in a way. It's like the way that the Flaming Lips will sing about it, but it gets you emotionally yeah. because of the key, the chord, the chord changes and the melodies and stuff. That's all I'll try and do. So even if it's a song about a baby doing a pill, I will try and get those those notes or the melody or, you know, the whatever the feel of the song that you'll go oh i love that bit yeah yeah it doesn't doesn't necessarily have to be um it doesn't necessarily have to be subject matter because i i feel like melodies as well it's like um the model by Kraftwerk. there's yeah you know they they do the keyboard bit it's just it just it's just wonderful it's very very emotive that um i can't think of it off the top of my head but the way that the notes change on that little keyboard riff that they have in there is really stirring and moving. Yeah, so I just try and do that, even if it's a song about pooing or whatever. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, you you, you um, go a bit near the knuckle sometimes. But at the Bristol show, you actually said that you were, you had a song banned by the BBC. Uh, that was, yeah, well, in so many ways, yes. Yeah. I mean, because I've been obviously writing and writing and writing to get enough songs for the t- t- for two show, two series back yeah. to back. So that's like 40 songs in wow, okay, in yeah. about two years, which yeah. was um, yeah, it was quite tough, really, to be honest with you. But um, yeah, so it was uh, it was a song. Yeah, in a way, it was sort of on the, it was a sort of like um, song along the lines of Baby's Done a Poo. It was about a song about... Um, Oh, which one was it? Oh no, oh, no that was that one. About was how, it like where having baby, baby? Where do babies come from? Where Where yeah. do babies come from? Yeah. That was it. Yeah, I was yeah. thinking about a different one. Yeah, yeah. They, they, and they thought they they really liked the song, but they couldn't use it because they would get complaints. It's not that they're stuffy in any way. They've just got to be careful about what they put out because they don't want to offend anyone. And it's quite you know, it's it's, it's completely understandable. That's what they do because there's lots of people with different views out there, and um, you have to sort of play it carefully now and again. But it's amazing the stuff that they have, you know, the subject matter of the songs, like, you know, the baby's done a part, I thought, well, they're not going to do that. Or the, there's the burp in the dinosaur song, are they going to let us do that? And oh, that yeah, really, yeah, yeah. It was, you know, we were free to do all those sorts of things, which was which was amazing. Yeah, so that that was really cool. So, you know, you, you take the rough with your smooth, although I did need, I did really want that song to be in it because I thought, you know, this. I, th- I thought the song worked really well. Are you going to put it out on um, YouTube or anything? Or? Hopefully, I mean, I'll, I'll, I will put it out at some point. Yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely cool. when I get a moment. Cool. Um, is there anything else you wanted to mention, by the way, just that I haven't asked about or anything? I don't think so, no, yeah. that if anybody wants to come to the shows, just have a look on the on the website and they'll see all the, the events that are coming up and hope to see people 
out and about and hopefully we'll get the new songs um the new podcast songs um online at some point as well that would be really really cool to get that get that out there so people can take those on their travels yeah 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 um amazing okay nick well thank you so much i really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us yeah absolute pleasure it's been lovely chatting to you So what a fun chat with someone who I really admire and look up to, Nick Cope. Again, check out the shows on the iPlayer if you have it. Look them up on YouTube if you don't. And even if you don't have little kids, I am sure you will find something that resonates with you at some level in his very family-friendly songs. And if, like Percy, you reach the heady age of five years old and think maybe you've outgrown the podcast, fear not, because there's also lots of great indie music available from his band, The Candy Skins, which clearly has equal appeal. Again, if you've enjoyed the show, please let me know. Drop me a message at uketeacher at grabyouryuke.com as I do reply to all the emails that I receive, eventually. And if you're after some bonus content, sign up to patreon.com slash uketeacher and you'll find extra conversation with James Hill, Christopher Davis Shannon, Abby Lyons, Cynthia Lynn, and more. In fact, there's some extra chat with Victoria Vox, that I've been meaning to put up for a little while, so keep an eye out for that too over the coming days. And please, please spread the word and let your uke-loving friends and family know about the Ukulele Tales podcast. Oh, excuse me, podcast. Uh, available in all the usual podcasty places, as in order to be able to keep doing it, I need people to keep listening to it. Now, I've been to several festivals and things over the summer and heard from people in person just how much you guys are enjoying it. But if you also tell your friends about the show, that would really be amazing. Okay, I'll be back in two weeks' time with another fun episode for you. Until then, another big thank you to Carla for sponsoring the show. They make lovely ukuleles and guitars, and if you'd like a 10% discount on anything on their website, please go ahead and visit my special link in the show notes, carlabrand.com slash uketeacher. And now until next time, I love you all, and I wish you... The best.